the Pac-12 should not go to an eight-game conference schedule. And Justin Wilcox has done a couple good things, but his seat might be starting to get warm up there in Berkeley. Let's go. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play by play broadcaster. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. This is your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. I appreciate all of you who have already done so. You're all aces in my book, as Saul says, played by the late Carl Rayner in uh, Ocean's 12. Ocean's 11, my favorite movie of all time. I better not get into that aside because I could uh, probably cite the whole thing back to you here in about 30 minutes. But we begin things off today with a question from one of you out there. Cascadia Surfrider is the only way that I know this particular individual. If you ever want a question answered by me on the show for all the world to hear, you can do one of four things. That's right. There's four. There are four ways to get a question answered here on the show. You tweet with the hashtag AskLOP12, or you can DM me at Smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore Pack 12. That's the Twitter account for the show. Please follow along so you can stay up to date with all the news from the Conference of Champions. Or you hop into the YouTube comments as Cascadia Surfrider did, and you get a question answered here on the show. He says, I'm assuming it's a heat. It might not be. I apologize if it's not. Only the Pac-12 and the Big Ten play nine conference games to the others playing only eight. The SEC has always played a late season cupcake that adds to the wins. Fact check true. Rest starters. Also true. And they don't have to possibly take a loss and starters getting hurt battling another conference team. It's a very good point. This extra, com- this extra conference game has hurt us numerous times in the last two decades, and if it changes, we should rarely see a Pac-12 team miss the playoff. Okay, the last part of that is not phrased amazingly. I, I think what he's trying to say is it would help the Pac-12's playoff chances if they only had an eight-game conference schedule. I do not believe that this is the case. Let's start with the initial question. Should the Pac-12 go to eight conference games? No, no, and no. I am not a fan of that idea. Think about it like this. I'm a big golfer. I've been playing a bunch of golf this weekend down here in Black Butte, Oregon, which is a beautiful, beautiful place. I think the phrase down here is there is a place for those of you that know. Anyway, if you're trying to get better at golf, which is a very hard sport, And you look over and you see someone who's better than you at golf kind of slacking off because they have a unique sort of natural talent. It's not a good approach to come into your golf game and your practice habits and how you want to play on the course by imagining that you could be like that person and think, oh, well, I don't have to work as hard to get better. He's not working as hard because that guy has probably already put in the work the golfer that I'm talking about here. I I say that to point out 
just because someone else is doing it doesn't mean it's the right course of action for you. You have to worry about what is happening that you can control. You have to right control what you can control. If I were the commissioner of college football, yes, I would 100% say every conference needs to play nine conference games. You have more competitive games. I think the late season cupcakes are absolutely ridiculous. The SEC is still better than everybody else, and I don't doubt that Alabama would win all those games, but still the point about having to go another week against a conference opponent versus playing the Citadel or something that you've never heard of that's just a total buy game, I don't think is the best way to go about it from an entertainment standpoint or from a competitive standpoint when you have other conferences that are playing nine games as they should. The ACC and the SEC both play eight-game schedules. So does the American Conference, by the way. So if I were commissioner, I'd say, look, everybody's got to play nine. That's the best way to do it from a a viewership standpoint. I mean, how many people are going to watch a Pac-12 team play an FCS school versus one Pac-12 team playing another? I mean, there's going to be a difference there, and it's a better game. And, And especially the fact that it comes late in the season. It's not like the SEC starts conference play a week later than everybody else. They start after the first three weeks, but then they just throw this in as essentially a buy. I mean, they could literally roll out their second stringers with the quality opponents that, that they end up playing. But I'm somebody who wants to have as many competitive games as possible. I want to have the maximum number of college football games where I'm glued to my television every week. I want that as a fan of the Pac-12, but also just of the sport as a whole. The second part of, of his question is, well, if we had an eight-game conference schedule, would, would teams be able to get, would Pac-12 teams have an easier time getting into the college football playoff? There is a scenario where that might be possible, but I don't think that it's really, really true. Because think about the seasons in which the college football playoff has existed, which it started in the 2014-15 campaign, and Oregon made it then, and Washington made it in the 2016-17 season, and those are the only Pac-12 schools to get into one of those coveted four college football playoff spots and have a chance at a national championship game. The only teams that have come close or that are one game away, right? So if you had an eight-game conference schedule instead of a nine, where you'd say, well, what, what about that one game? I think it hurt that team there. Oregon in 2019 is the only one that I can think of where it would it where it would have potentially made a difference because in 2019 Oregon opened the season by losing to Auburn then they kept winning and winning and winning and then they went down to Tempe as 14 and a half point favorites and they lost to the Sun Devils and Jaden Daniels in what was a really well played game from ASU and Jaden Daniels was slinging it all over the gridiron I mean he was really really good in that game But here's the thing. If you look at that season, which, again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe that I am when I say that that's the only year that the Pac-12 would have been helped by an eight-game schedule. And if everything had played out exactly as it had outside of one particular game, then Oregon maybe would have gotten back in because they ended up winning the the Pac-12 championship and they were 11-2 and going into – the the Rose Bowl, which they won as well, but they would have been instead of eleven and two, they would have been twelve and one, and very possibly 
a college football playoff team. Again, not a guarantee, but certainly a possibility. But if you take one conference game out of that schedule, even that doesn't guarantee Oregon would have gotten in. I'll tell you why. After I remind you, our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, Go Mariners, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. Even if you take one game out of Oregon's schedule that was a Pac 12 opponent, there's no guarantee it would have been ASU. What if it had been Arizona? What if it had been, who else did they play that year? Cal, right? What if it had been somebody like that? If that sort of team had come, Cal was in the Pac-12 North, so it wouldn't have been that. But what if you'd taken out Arizona instead of Arizona State? Well, then you're still going to have the same result, which is Oregon losing a game late in the year and taking themselves out of the college football playoff discussion. So going to an eight-game schedule is not going to get you where you want to go because ultimately, and this is what I was talking about with the analogy of looking at the golfer, is going to the, the schedule and say, well, the SEC plays eight games. Maybe we should do it like that. That's not what is keeping the Pac-12 out of the college football playoff at all. What's keeping the Pac-12, nice little voice crack there, what's keeping the Pac-12 out of the college football playoff is the recruiting for a lot of schools has not been where it necessarily needs to be, particularly USC. And the teams just haven't been good enough. You have to have the coaches, you have to have the recruiting, and you have to have the caliber of season that allows you to be in that sort of discussion. Now, the Pac-12 has come close. Oregon got close that year. So did Utah. I mean, if Utah beats Oregon in that Pac-12 championship game, heck, they might have been in the playoff. But again, one less conference game for that 2019 Utah team with Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss that was really, really good and just ran into an Oregon team that that got hot running the ball in that conference champ in that Pac-12 championship game at Levi Stadium. That is not a team that would have benefited from having an eight-game conference schedule. And so I don't think it's as good of a product to put out there. But the other side of it is that if you're going to get to the college football playoff, should you need an eight-game schedule in the Pac-12 conference in order to get there? Because if that's what you're doing, that feels like you're trying to gimmick your way in. That feels like you're trying to maneuver your way into the playoff rather than actually being the sort of program that has the caliber or a team that has the pedigree to be one of the four best in college football in the eyes of the college football playoff committee. That's where I'm coming at is if you're actually that good, one more conference game in the Pac-12 where the conference currently stands right now in terms of their depth is not going to be the reason you don't get in there. And I want the teams to be battle tested. So I want them to play a nine game conference slate. I want the ACC to do that. I want the SEC to do that. I don't want the late season cupcakes. I think they should go away, keep them in the first three weeks. And, and, and by the way, I don't think you should get rid of buy games altogether. That's a, subject for a different day perhaps because it requires some explanation but when you have three non-conference games i think one of them should be against a power five opponent and the other two do whatever you want I, I, like I, I don't care as much but you shouldn't have it late in in the season i'm definitely on board with you there but going to an eight game conference schedule that's not going to fix the problem it's like that scene in Moneyball. it's like you're trying to solve the problem you're not even looking at the problem 
The problem is not that the Pac-12 is playing an extra game compared to the ACC and the SEC. The problem is that there haven't been enough teams that are capable of reaching the college football playoff. That programs are not well run enough to the point where they're you know, not well coached or they're not recruiting at the sort of level that they need to in order to be in that final four at the end of the year. That's why the college football playoff has not seen a Pac-12 team there since the 2016-17 season, because no one's been good enough. And yeah, that Oregon team was close. That Utah team was close. But when you look at that, that 2019 Oregon team, this is a longer explanation once again, but that team was really good with Justin Herbert. They were not especially well coached on the offensive side of the ball. Marcus Arroyo was far from a brilliant offensive mind. And I think that is been proven when you look at the NFL career that Justin Herbert is having compared to what he did during his time at, at Oregon. He had a very good career, but now you look at it and go, boy, kind of looks like you left something on the table, Marcus Arroyo and, and Mario Cristobal. And I know for a fact there are a lot of Oregon fans who feel that way. And that Utah team w- was definitely good, right? They were capable of being there, and Utah has been in that discussion. But you have to also look at it from the perspective of like, oh, well, you know, or you don't want to look at it from the perspective if you're a Utah fan of, oh, well, it's just that one game. If we'd just been Oregon, if we'd just done that, like, yes, but also look at this team a season ago, a team that I think could have maybe gotten to the college football playoff. But rather than looking at it of like, oh, we shouldn't have had such a tough schedule where they lost to, to BYU and I think San Diego State was the other one. We should have just had an easier schedule. No, you should have been able to go out on the field and execute in a way that doesn't let those teams be in the conversation when it comes to winning that particular football game. That's where I stand on that. So I appreciate the question. Cascadia Surfrider, who, whomever you may be out there, Keep them coming. YouTube comments, Twitter, you know, hashtag ask uh, LOP12 or at Smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore Pac12. Those are the ways you can get a question answered here on the show. But I, I am not in the camp of go to an eight game conference schedule because I don't think anybody wants to see a cupcake late in the year. I don't want other conferences to do it, but I want the Pac12. I want the Pac12's best teams. I want the cream to rise to the crop cream to rise to the top and I want to see the cream of the crop you know what I'm trying to say but I don't want to see that boosted by uh, a, a gimme win late in the year let's continue with our coach evaluations here and and take a look at Justin Wilcox over at Cal and you know yesterday was David Shaw so I thought ah, you know let's uh, let's just stay in the Bay Area and uh, and talk about the job that he has done entering now his sixth season, really, it's his fifth because one of them was 2020. But in four real seasons, right, taking 2020 out, Justin Wilcox as Cal football's head coach is 25 and 25. He's done some good things, but his overall grade right now going into his fifth full year to me, is a C minus. Now, also remember, for those of you that haven't seen or heard the other ones, however you're consuming the show, I thank you for doing that. For those of you who haven't seen, I'm a pretty tough grader. I gave David Shaw an A minus, but that's teetering. But that's also because he had a really dominant run in the Pac-12 during his first six seasons as a head coach when he won 10 or more games and won a couple Rose Bowls as well. So he's kind of resting on his laurels a bit because the last couple seasons, Stanford relative to their expectations now, they have faltered. 
but I am not handing out A's, A minuses, or even B. Like if you get something that is a B, whether it's a B, B minus, B plus, I think you are doing a good job in that realm. And I'd say above average. I'm a little bit more on the traditional grading sense where C is average, C plus slightly above, yada, yada, yada. So I put Wilcox slightly below average at, at a C minus. The things he's done well, he did give Cal their first big game win since two or in 2019, since 2009. That's not something that you can overlook. However, you can only, you know, much like David Shaw in his first six seasons, you, you can't just keep going back to that and say, well, he did this. And, you know, he beat Stanford. Like, that matters to Cal fans. There's no doubt about it. Winning rivalries, it's a huge, huge deal in college football. But you have to do more than, than what he has done in order to earn a, a better grade here. Now, is it tough to win in Berkeley? Yes, it is. There are academic standards, and it doesn't have, I, I don't think, the – kind of the staying power on the recruiting trail that a Stanford does, you know, whereas uh, the Cardinal can go out and, and get these sorts of players who are extremely smart and, and successful in the classroom and have bright futures in, in that sense. Not that other schools don't, but Stanford is looking for a different level, right? We all understand that. Berkeley is an elite academic institution, but I don't think it has the the national brand power in that sense that Stanford has. So if you're a top football player at a high school and you are, you know, also very, uh, you, you have a tremendous academic prowess as well. And you want to advance those pursuits using football. If you could go anywhere, you're probably going to go to Notre Dame or Stanford. Cal is not as much in that mix. The other thing is, you know, the, the fan support in Berkeley is not great. The institutional investment is pretty minimal. I, I mean, the resources that you've got up there, Berkeley is also not the prettiest of california cities compared to like a los angeles for instance you know in terms of the appeal that you have to recruits i mean it's still northern california and that's easier to recruit in theory than like corvallis or pullman um it rains a lot up there and <laughs> not as much in berkeley so it's tough to win however it's not impossible and we know that because jeff tedford from 2002 to 2009 had eight straight winning seasons. Now, Justin Wilcox has had two winning seasons. They won the Red Box Bowl in an eight-win campaign in 2019. That's his best year as Cal's coach. But he's been under 500 in conference play every year. Overall, his Pac-12, his record against Pac-12 foes is 14-22. and 22. That's not great. Again, that's four full seasons as Cal's head coach. That's not a great record. It's not terrible. You know, it's not like he should be on the hot seat, but if things don't turn around for Cal this year, I have to imagine I have to imagine his seat is at least starting to get a little bit warm. Is there a huge, rich tradition at Cal the way there is at like a USC where an under 500 season is just not tolerated, unacceptable? No. Or, or Washington, for that matter. It's not like that, but at some point – you have to start delivering winning seasons on a consistent basis. He's got to be at least 500 this year and, and get to a bowl game. I think if he's going to, you know, have any sense of job security going into 2023, I don't think he's on the hot seat yet. But overall grade, I, I'd say he's at a C minus. Recruiting, I actually think that's been kind of his strongest area when I was doing some digging on this. So I'll give him a B. Now, when I look at these schools and I give out these grades. 
I am putting stuff, especially recruiting, in the context of what school you are at. So I'm assessing, you know, how you're recruiting based on you know the the school that the program that you're at, the resources you're typically given, and the the, the brand that that school has. And Cal's is not tremendously strong. They've had some good players over the years, no doubt. You know, Keenan Allen, Deshaun Jackson, Marshawn Lynch, Aaron Rodgers, of course, uh, back in the day. But you know, Wilcox has done a better job than you would think recruiting at Cal. He, he had a top 30 class during his tenure, aside from the class of 2017, which is the year he was hired. And I never judge coaches that harshly on uh, a transition year when they're taking over in a program. He's been in the top 50 each year, which for Cal, uh, it was pretty solid. You know, that maybe should be a B minus. Yeah, I'm going to I'm actually going to put that B minus, I think. Um, but still, that, that's a solid place to be. And I think overall is has been Wilcox's strongest area. Game management and scheme. And remember, we get we have five areas to grade coaches here. Overall, recruiting, game management and scheme, player development, assistant hires. I think game management and scheme, Wilcox gets a C plus. The defense as well, he's been there. He came over from Washington, where he's the defensive coordinator. They've been stellar. And they should be. I mean, when you are, are known for being a coordinator on that side of the ball, and, and that's kind of the reason you were hired, is Washington had some really good defenses up there when he was on Chris Peterson's staff. That should be your calling card, and it definitely has been for Cal. Through all the struggles they've had during Wilcox's tenure, defenses have been pretty consistently solid and, and at or near the, the top of the Pac-12 when you look at uh, rankings in terms of the, the key statistics. So he, he recruits solid players defensively. Uh, he develops them pretty well. But the reason that he, he stays at a C-plus, which is you know slightly above average, is because defenses yeah, – Good enough to, to contend for a Pac-12 conference championship, honestly. But uh, the offenses have been a problem year in and year out. It, it's it's a recurring theme, and that's the biggest thing holding Cal back. It's not the defense, but they don't score enough points, and they just never have. I mean, when you're a defensively oriented head coach who you know comes from that side of the ball and hasn't had a lot, and Wilcox was, I believe, a DB at Oregon way back in the day, so – that, that's really where he comes from. Some guys will go back and forth a little bit, but he's a defensive coach through and through, and he just hasn't found the offensive coordinator that he's needed to, to bolster the Bears' offensive repertoire to a point where they can be a legitimate player in the Pac-12 North because they, they really haven't been. And, and that's just, you know, become part of their identity, unfortunately. Player development, again, I'll go C+. Plus. Uh, you know, slightly above average. Chase Garbers became a nice quarterback in the Pac-12. You know, Cal's not bringing in a bunch of big-time recruits, so the fact that they have sent some players on to the NFL, uh, good, I, I think, is the linebacker that that they just sent. Correct me if, I, if I'm wrong there, but uh, I think guys like Evan Weaver was a really good player, but they're not bringing in these highly rated four-stars or five-star guys. It's just not part of what you, you have access to when you're the head coach at Cal, but still – they develop nice players and they, they shape them up into really, really solid defenses. So doing more with less, I'll go slightly above average there. But again, the offensive development uh, kind of lacking. And this is where I almost I haven't given out a, a D yet in any particular area. I almost did here, but I'll, I'll go C minus on the assistant hires for Justin Wilcox matching his his overall evaluation. Um Bill Musgrave is just not going is is not cutting it. You know, he he was hired 
after uh, Bo Baldwin left to get a head coaching job, which you might hear and think, oh, wow, well, he got hired to be a head coach, must be doing something right. Yeah, he went to take the head coaching job at Cal Poly. So if that's where your assistant offensive coordinator is getting hired to, after he put up some pretty bad numbers as the OC, it's not great. And, you know, I remember, I don't even remember exactly where it was, but I, I saw something that was like an anonymous poll of, uh, of coaches in the Pac-12 about where they ranked offensive coordinators schematically in terms of calling a game and, and you know, how, how they saw them or valued them. Bill Musgrave was at the bottom. You know, he's he's been there for a couple seasons. This will be his second full season. He was hired in 2020. So we'll see what, what he's able to do and if they're able to, you know, get Jack Plummer into, into shape at, at a point where he's able to help Cal's offense take a big leap forward because that, that, that's what they need. Uh, the reason I didn't go down to a D plus here because the offensive coordinators just, they have not been good enough at all. The offense has just been so bad. And that's, you know, something that you have to be able to do if you're a defensive head coach, you got to be able to find kind of your kingmaker on offense. And that has not been something Justin Wilcox has been able to attain, but their defensive coordinator right now is Peter Sermon, who's been on the defensive staff for, many years and he looks to be really good and the defensive coordinators they've had rolling through hasn't mattered as much because I think Wilcox calls defensive plays but they, they've been good right and so the defenses are good year in and year out so that that's the only reason I keep the assistant hires category out of the the D department um no no bun intended there but I, I think overall you know Wilcox I don't think he's on the hot seat yet but it, it, it's starting to warm up overall grade C minus lowest of the coaches that I've evaluated so far. And we will keep it going, which is why you should like and subscribe wherever you are listening to or watching the show. I appreciate everyone listening. See you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day.